This is the Education Business Podcast for consultants and business owners providing services in schools. I'm Claire Riley, and I'll be sharing how to start, grow, and scale your education business. So today we're talking about how to sell your products and services directly to schools themselves. So I know this can be a little bit daunting, but if you want to grow your business in education seriously, then it's something that we're going to have to do if you're not already doing it already. So now's the time to grab yourself a pen and a piece of paper because you are going to need it. So I've split these into four what not to do's and six to do's. So let's go through the four things I don't recommend doing first. And you might have done some of these already and I can tell you that I have and that's okay. So let's go through them. So the first thing is to buy a list. And when I say buy a list, I'm talking about an email list. Now, I get a lot of pictures for email lists in my inbox from companies who are promising me so many leads and real names and real email addresses. And do you know what? They might be real names and real email addresses. And you can spend hundreds or thousands of pounds on this kind of data and information. And it used to be where you would get sent the email addresses. And often now, you don't always get sent the email addresses. Sometimes a company will offer to send that email themselves. And that can be because of GDPR and things like that. Um, But then it actually does go from them as well. It doesn't go from you. So you have to wonder how that even works. Because then surely the school is thinking, hang on a minute, this is definitely a sales email and I haven't made a relationship with any of these people. So, yeah. But on the off chance that you were actually given the emails, well, the first thing is that we don't actually know whether that information is up to date. Um, there's no guarantees about that either. Email providers don't really like it. So, lots of schools use Outlook. So, if you're going to get a thousand emails and then you're going to send that one email to a thousand email addresses, then Outlook knows that and is likely to put it in the spam. Equally, if we're talking about a mail provider where you're sending the emails out, say for example, it's MailChimp, then when you import those email addresses, it knows that they haven't been through the GDPR process and um, those people have not done a double opt-in. So MailChimp isn't going to like it either. So there's all these things to consider. Now, I've just said that we there's no guarantees that that information is correct. And I think, you know, through the pandemic, we've seen so much movement in schools. Uh, people have moved jobs. Some people have left their profession. There's been lots of teachers entering the profession. So we've got no guarantees that that, that information's up to date. It could be, you know, two years out of date, even more. And there is an argument to say that some of the information you can find online. Now, things like maths leads is not always on a school website. But what I can tell you is that it is actually the law that a school does publish their staff list on a website. They don't have to tell you who the maths lead is, but they do have to tell you, you know, who's working at the school. And they are supposed to keep that up to date, although we know that schools are so busy and everything. So there's no guarantee that they've done that either because, you know, doing the website can be something that is easily forgotten. So I have to ask you the question though as well. So say for example, you did have these email addresses and you did know who, you know, the science lead was and you were the science lead. If you got that email from a company that you did not know or who had no idea existed, would you buy from that? 
or are you more likely to have a little bit of interest if it's forwarded to you from the school office for example if you if you sent it to the school office just a question there so that's the first thing so the second thing that I don't recommend doing to sell to schools is using social media now this is not to say don't use social media at all absolutely use it but it's not the place to sell to schools just don't expect to sell to schools there so lots of head teachers are not even on social media or they they disguise themselves because they don't want parents to find them or or other teachers in the school but for us when we've got a social media page it's really easy for us to forget that not everybody sees what we're posting and we could have like a thousand followers and then think that the whole of the country knows our education business and I think you know I've learned that and I don't even assume now that people know what Classroom Secrets is because actually there are people who still don't know and I certainly don't assume that people will know who I am because people don't see all of your posts. It is important to, you know, put things on your social media that supports what you're doing in a school but it's not the place that you're going to be DMing people. You're not, you're not going to be DMing the head teacher on Facebook or directing them to your sales page. It's just, it's just not a thing that's done. So that leads me on to the third thing that I don't recommend then, and that is cold calling. So school business managers, office receptionists, they are trained gatekeepers. They are like doctor's receptionists. And it's their job to kind of keep the salespeople out. <laughs> and, the, you know, the decision makers are different in every school so it's hard to know who to speak to anyway. It might be the deputy head in one school, the assistant head in another school, the school business manager somewhere else. Another school might not have a school business manager. Maybe that's the, I don't know, the second in command in the office. You just, you don't know. And do you know what? The people who are the gatekeepers in school know that and they want to know that you know who you've got to speak to. It's a bit like selling to a CEO of a company. So at Classroom Secrets, nobody can call me by getting through on the main number. Like, I don't even have a line for that to be possible because I don't want someone else to make a decision to waste my time to try and sell me something that I don't want. I will make that decision myself. Um, so they, they want you to prove that you can jump through lots of hoops. So I guess it can be done, but it just might not be worth the time and money that it takes to actually get a sale you get a lot of rejection so I just don't recommend it myself and the last thing is don't do nothing it's really easy for us to think well it's okay one day schools will know I'm here and they will come and buy from me and we can build this really lovely website and think that they will just come there's even a saying isn't there build it and they will come and we can spend time getting really great SEO in place. We can even hire someone in to do that for us. But the reality is, is that a teacher or a head teacher or a school business manager is not sat there typing in your keywords to Google. I know that it's awful, but that is the truth. They're not doing that. And it's important that we take it upon ourselves to educate our potential customers about who we are and how we can help them. So they're the four things that I don't recommend doing. So let's move on to the six things that I do recommend doing in selling to schools. So the first thing 
is building a relationships on LinkedIn. So I know I've said don't sell on social media, um, but I always think LinkedIn's a bit different anyway. It's more of a place where people share about work and they want to grow the connections and things. So this is a great place to start. And you can connect with people on LinkedIn. It's not like on Facebook where people expect to be your friend and actually know you to connect. On LinkedIn, you you can connect with people you don't really know, even though LinkedIn tells you you shouldn't do it. And if you do it a lot, they will say, oh, don't carry on doing this. But you just, you know, you just back off a little bit. So I've been growing my connections on there for around two years now. And I'll go through and I'll just connect with people who are useful to me and I'm useful to them, if that makes sense. So... I'm not talking about messaging them straight away either and selling something. That's not it. But know who you're targeting. So if you're going to be connecting with people, then know who you're looking for. So on LinkedIn, when you connect with people that you don't know, but you can see what their role is, which is really helpful, loads of times they just accept it. It's it's not often that, that it's rejected, to be honest. So who is it you want to target then? Ask yourself that question. Is it maths leads? Is it science leads? Is it school business managers? Is it head teachers? Is it a specific area that you're going to target? Is it specific schools? Is it a multi-academy trust? Is it an LEA? I don't know. You'll know and you can make those decisions then and start building up those connections. Once you've started building up those connections... You need to make them feel important, like figure out why they are in your network. And I recommend messaging them, but not messaging them to sell them anything and not messaging them to give them something for free because that is, yeah, that's one of my bugbears actually. Because just because you're not asking for money, if you're giving them something free, you are actually asking them for their time. Um, and that is something that needs to be spent as well. So you actually are selling to them, even if you're sending them something for free. So I would reach out to them and just let them know that you're so grateful that they're in your network. And obviously I only want you to say this if you actually mean it. So I do say this, but I, I do actually mean it. Um, and a voice message can work really well. So You know what it's like? You see a voice message and you think, I really want to listen to that. What does it say? Now, sometimes people won't listen at all. You might want to start with, hi, Suzette, and then put your voice message in. But when you do a voice message, people can hear the tone of your voice and they make a a deeper connection with you. They don't read it in their voice, which could be a bit sarcastic in the moment. Um, They actually listen to it um, with your voice and it can help them make that connection and I found a lot of people coming back to me and saying wow I didn't even know there was a voice function and now I'm really excited to use it and sometimes I even get one back but here is an example so I um, I've used this really successfully I was uh, building a group of people for a project and so I'd say something like this on voice message. Hi, Susie, I just want to say thank you so much for connecting with me. I'm just really looking forward to learning more from you. And I went on. The thing is, I made her feel important and it's really important to make sure that that happens. If you think, for example, about somebody who works in a school office, they want to be really helpful. They want to have importance in the way that they are somebody who can connect people who knows things because that is their job 
So think about how can they help you? Is there a way? Is there a way that you can position something so they can help you? It could even be something like a bit of a survey that you're doing for real research. You know, it needs to be real. And you could reach out to them. You know, can you help me with this? Because you've got so much knowledge where I don't. And that can really help build a relationship. So while this is going on, it's important through your social posts that you're creating this brand where they know who you are and you're sharing content that's meaningful for them. So I have seen this work on my um, LinkedIn profile. So I'm sharing about the Teachers Podcast very frequently. So then when I'm messaging people, they seem to have a better idea of who I am and I don't really know who they are. And that's what you're trying to sort of build. So when I'm doing the Teachers Podcast, so if you don't know, I have the Teachers Podcast and every week I interview a different guest in education. So I don't do any of the content on there like I am doing here. And usually I'll tell the guest at the beginning the story of the plumber to help them with their content marketing. And so, and this is how it goes. So I have a gardener. So if somebody asked me to recommend a gardener, I know one, which is important. It doesn't really matter whether my gardener's good or not. I know one, but I don't know a plumber. So if I needed a plumber, I'd have to reach out to my network and ask people if they knew one. And if they didn't, then I'd probably think of the time when on social media, I saw a plumber show us how to make sure that my pipes didn't freeze over at Christmas. Now, he has no idea who I am, but I've made this connection with him that he's a plumber, and if I need a plumber, he can help me. I've got a relationship that he doesn't know exists, and that's what you're trying to create here. You are reaching out to people and building relationships and showing who you are, that you're this genuine person, and you're not asking for anything at this point. You're just being super helpful. And then when it comes around to it, when they need your help, there you are. Somebody that they know just as a friend. So the second thing then that I think is worth trying is using schools that are already in your network. So I want you to make a list of schools that are already in your network that you've got some connection to. So when I'm saying connection to, it might be the school you did your PGCE in. It might be a school that your sister works in. Or it could be your mother-in-law's friend's brother. And, you know, work out like that. (laughs) There'll be some schools that you have a closer connection to and some schools that you you don't have that closer connection to. And, you know, while you're doing that, think about the schools that you're already working in if you're working in a school. So if you're in one school, for example, is that part of a a multi-academy trust? Can you then connect with other schools in, in the mat? Or is the school part of a federation? So I think different areas have things like this and they might be called different things. But in Halifax, where I am, we've got something called the North Halifax Federation. And it's basically the schools in North Halifax. There was a lot of movement between the schools of some pupils. And what they wanted to do was create more of um, more cohesion, I suppose, between the schools where maybe the calculation policies were very similar and they were following the curriculum in a very similar way so that if a child did move, they had less disruption in their lives. Um, So they were linked that way, even though they didn't really have any official links like map links or anything like that. 
or it could be that a school is just close by. So often schools that are close with each other have these relationships where they work together on things. So if you're going to email a school, it's better to be just one of these schools where you send in a personalized email to a school that you've thought about, you've researched, you've tailored the message. That can be worth so much more sending that one email than a thousand emails to schools that you don't know and it's just a generic email and means nothing to them. So that's a really good thing to try. And then when you've done that, think about recommendations and think about recommendation and incentives as well. So you might not realize this, but head teachers have serious FOMO, especially for school down the road and especially if it's working. So ask the head teacher at the school you're at to recommend you to other head teachers. You don't have anything to lose. And I know that this can be uncomfortable and I understand this. I absolutely do. But I like to think of it as like learning your car boot sale skills. You know, when you go to a car boot sale, you've got to ask for a discount. And if you don't, you won't get it. So I used to love going to the car boot sale with my granddad because he had no problem asking. And it's all about experience, isn't it? You just do it once and then the next time it's a bit easier and the next time it's a bit easier and that's how it goes. And it is good to push ourselves through that comfort barrier. And that's what growing in business is for me. It's doing the things that make us feel like we're pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone, but all the time. And Sean, my ops director, always says that I don't have a comfort zone, which is not true. I can honestly tell you that. But the thing is, she's seen me push myself out of my comfort zone just a little bit so many times that to her, she perceives that I have no comfort zone anymore. So when we're talking about recommendations, then think about what the school could get in return. Now, some schools would just recommend you anyway, if you ask, but it is good to think, is there something that we could give them? Now, it takes time to think about what this free bit could be. And it's important not to rush because you want to make sure that it's something that you're happy to give away for the long term. And I just want to point out here that it's not for every business either. It doesn't work for everyone. And recommendations don't currently work for us at Classroom Secrets because of the model that we have. So we feel like the price is too low to give them anything that's tangible or really matters because we don't have physical products. So we did have um, a recommendation code actually, and it was all manual, which made it take loads of time, actually cost a lot of um, resource in the company. Um, But it got to the point where instead of a teacher recommending Classroom Secrets to another teacher and giving them a recommendation code, it got to the point where everybody knew the Classroom Secrets had recommendation codes and everyone wanted to get Classroom Secrets even though they hadn't been recommended. So they would go onto a Facebook group, ask for a recommendation code just so they could get it cheaper and the other person would get a month. So it kind of defeated the object because it wasn't about recommendations. It was working against us. So it doesn't work for everyone, but it's worth considering and to take time. And we're always thinking, is there a way to bring recommendation in again with this new thing that we're doing? Is there a way to do it now we're doing this? So it's definitely worth considering. I think it could work for maybe a physical subscription product, especially if you've got surplus stock that maybe not everyone has or It could work for remote workshops where you've got more than one school joining the same call if it's remote. It could be that you have a specific one just for all the recommendations, maybe at the end of term or something where all the schools can join. So that's worth thinking about. So the fourth thing I want you to try then 
is to work with the school for free to prove that your product or service works. So the aim here is to get testimonials and start that word of mouth process. So data gathered by BISA actually shows that 50% of teachers and schools buy via word of mouth, which seems absolutely crazy. But I suppose really it supports the social media method as well because you see it in the Facebook groups where people ask for recommendations on a certain product or um, they will recommend. So again, go back to the schools that you're already connected to and see if you can use their network as well so that you can offer more um, free services. So there are so many good reasons to know how schools interlink with each other. So ask them if they know who the, the person to contact is at the school down the road. So if you know the area, then this can work really well. So I, I visited loads of schools in Calderdale and the more I did that, the more I got to know people and see how schools were interlinked. And then I realized so much was going on under the surface. So on supply, I'd work out that Mr. Smith worked here last year. Then he moved to another school in September. That was where his wife worked 10 years ago. And now she works at the school across town and that's how it goes and quickly you can see this web of interlinked schools and sort of work your way through and you could you could get your foot in the door that way. So I'd physically see teachers move schools and then recommend products and services that they used in the last school. And, you know, I was actually on a call with somebody the other day who was seeking some advice about setting up their own education business. And she said that her school uses Classroom Secrets and that it was thought very highly of uh, by a, a teacher that came from somewhere else and brought it to the school so this thing happens all the time so sometimes it, you've just got to think about it for the long game so the fifth thing to try then is to get more than one meaningful contact in school so I've talked about connecting with people on LinkedIn and thinking about who you want to connect to and you'll know that I mentioned more than one person in the school so maybe you've done the free trial and you're ready to make the sale now but have you built enough relationships in the school so get to know the people who you're aiming it at, of course. So if your product's maths-based, then it's the maths lead. But who are the other people in school that you need to know or need to know you? So if you've got a maths product and you've been dealing with a maths lead, then they're not going to be available during school hours when you're trying to ring. So get the school business manager's email as well as the receptionist or whoever's going to deal with you when you ring up or you email and make that person feel really important. They're the all-knowing person in the school and without them, you can't get the money in exchange for your product or service. So if you don't have a good relationship with them or you don't have the right connections, your invoice won't get paid because if you send that through to the mass lead, they're going to be teaching all the time and they'll forget to send it on. Not because they're being awful, it's just that's not really high on their priorities. And I can tell you, email is, is not something that a teacher's thinking about when they're in the classroom and they're trying to get the best out of the children. And the sixth thing I want you to try is just another tact and that's selling to teachers so that when the time is right you can encourage them to upgrade to a school subscription and this is how it happened for us in the early days unfortunately I wasn't strategic in this I didn't plan it it just happened but you know I think it's important to share the truth around that and the mindset stuff that I've had to deal with and that I still work through now as a former teacher but also as a human being, but I was scared to sell to schools. I'm not going to lie. That was another story and I'm sure we'll cover it at some point, but I don't want you to be scared. As a result of selling to teachers though, first with such a valuable product, in 2018, school subscriptions just came flooding in and it was a surprise if I'm honest. 
what had happened is we'd built up word of mouth and we'd we'd hit so many teachers who realized that this was so valuable for them for their schools and then they upsold it to the schools and the the sales from schools were just so incoming rather than us going out to them because we'd done so much work around it and they promoted it so that is another strategy as well and if you're not ready yet to sell to schools then you might want to consider targeting the teachers and then in the future encouraging them to upsell that to the schools so we should have encouraged that so much more than we did if we'd have been aware so I hope that's been helpful. I know there's so much here uh, for you to take in. So you can go back and listen again and make yourself a to-do list. And if you found this helpful, then I'd really appreciate it if you could just share it with one friend to help them grow their education business as well. And I'm going to see you again on the Education Business Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Education Business Podcast. To get more information to grow your business, sign up at educationbusinessclub.co.uk.